One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. You remember that? It was like a ball going through a pinball machine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we should really just do, uh, what was it? Uh, one count. The vampire that counts a lot to the twelve one. Oh, we'll do it. Episode 30. <laughs> Episode 30 is just us counting to 30 over the course of an hour. That's uh, my favorite, uh, my favorite comedy group at the moment arnie donna did that um for their 300 episode they just read out their episode names in the voice of an actor from <laughs> the movie 300 um a guy called david wenham they just pretended to be david wenham and read out 300 episode titles so 300 we'll do that as well okay and you know hopefully we're famous enough by then that auntie donna can join us and we can all do it together mm. i don't think that'll happen but you never know well, not with that attitude that's true that's true i mean they probably know a lot about ai models and stuff <laughs> uh good so, morning mate, how you doing yeah good we're, we're doing a little bit earlier because you've got uh some fun plans for the weekend yeah yeah off to off to scotland with my little sister and the dog, so that'll be great. Very nice. Are you off to Scotland with Very the dog nice. this weekend? No, I don't know what I've got planned this weekend. Um, probably just kick around at home, edit a few videos. Uh, Not yours. Don't know. Just, <laughs> just random videos. Recut avatar. I just download... <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's not the director's cut, it's Elliot's cut. I don't have any additional footage. I just reorder major plot points <laughs> you know take that uh what's that business uh bottom line up front sort of mentality i just take the last 30 seconds and play it at the start yeah. and then fade in and so if you don't want to watch the rest of the movie you know the ending right at the beginning it's top. all about hyper productivity man <laughs> top down communication movies <laughs> yeah absolutely man like that's you know we've been talking about the book four thousand hours you got a limited amount of time so I just put the end of all the movies at the front, and that's the Elliot cut. Yeah. So Avatar. look out for that. Human industrial complex is bad. Yeah, basically. Um, How do we come back from this? Come on, segue us. Oh, I believe in you. I don't know, man. Let's just pause for like eight years like Avatar did, and then we'll finish this thought. Um, <laughs> what, well, what, what am I making you? drinking? I'll... Well, I'm making you drink at 3 p.m. What are you drinking? That's true. It's not three, it's four. So it's five o'clock in a lot of places. Uh, I have got the Zombie Pop Part 2 uh, Boysenberry and Blueberry Imperial Sour by Hop Nation Brewing Co. Um, it's not bad. Like, I don't know if I get it again, but it's not bad. I got Part 1 as well, but I thought, you know, the Part 1's Guava. I went for the Boysenberry, but yeah, it's all right. What are you drinking? Is there going to be a part three? I have no idea. Um, maybe it's like Avatar. We'll wait and see. I'm going to pretend to sponsor this show as a beer company, so you stop stick stop drinking these gross beers. I'm just going to pretend to be. They're not from, gross. They're gross. I'm gonna I'm gonna pretend to be from a florist so that we don't have to slowly watch your flowers die in the background <laughs> of your photo every week. <laughs> They're wilting. They're wilting. They're actually quite alive. Leave them alone. Um, I am drinking the uh, Zoroka blend today. Cafe Tierra method. So 
and it's piping hot. I can't drink it yet. Oh, well. Good. All right, so we've got two topics for this week, as per usual. Mm -hmm. Both of them have a little bit of the Google flavor this week. Um, so I think, Tom, you are up first this week. Yeah, I'm right? up first. I'm up first. Take us away, man. So um, this week, I want to talk about an article I came across in The Economist called Alphabet is Spending Billions to Become a Force in Healthcare. Um, and the point of the article is that tech companies are spending a lot of money investing in healthcare to become big players in it. But Alphabet is spending the most out of all of these by a significant amount. Um, so if we take a look at a few of the stats, uh, and what I wanted to discuss today is actually two things is, um, the first one is, are these companies actually spending a lot? And the second one is, uh, are they going to have some winners? When it, what are, uh, is their model, is their venture capital model that they're taking going to produce some winners? Um, and then bonus content, if we don't run out of time or things to talk about, is just running through Google's health portfolio. So, um, Top 300 Google health portfolio. <laughs> deep mind. I know I'm going to listen back on that and hear myself do a voice and cringe. Um, but anyway. So... Um, Tech is investing a lot in healthcare. So if we look at the numbers in 2021, they invested 3.1 billion. And these are mainly venture, venture backed uh, businesses or venture style businesses. Um, in fact, it's, it's a relatively large proportion of uh, all of healthcare investment in startups in 2021. It was 60 billion invest in healthcare startups in 2021. But if you think about the acquisition model that these players do, they're not venture capital funds. So they're doing, mm. um, and they usually just buy the whole thing rather than back in a portion. So they're actually doing quite, uh, it's quite a lot of uh, the bigger deals. Um, and you can understand why. So the question of like, why is tech investing in healthcare? And I think it probably comes down to the main point that healthcare is such a big market. It's ridiculously yeah. big. It's like 17% of GDP in the US which is... That is a lot. Yeah, it's like nearly $4 trillion. Everyone's like, ooh, defense is a big industry. It's like it's like five times defense. Um, and the other thing, the other thing about um, health is that it's growing. Usually when these industries get so big, they kind of plateau. If you consider the energy industry, and by the energy, I mean like the electricity market, it's sitting at two to three percent growth a year sometimes negative growth in fact electricity consumption is going backwards and all the growth has been in prices um so it's growing and any market that's big and growing generally attracts big players and the reason is is that uh it's easier to grow within a business uh, within an already growing market rather than a big market that's growing rather than create an entire new market from scratch even though ironically all of these companies came from came from a, a place of zero yeah i guess once you get to a certain size your risk appetite sort of decreases a bit you got to protect the kingdom rather than you know risk it for a new kingdom <laughs> yeah exactly um and so alphabet is the 
biggest spender out of the fangs, which is the Facebook, Alphabet, Amazon, Netflix, Google. I've always found it a bit weird that Netflix is mm-hmm. in there, but um, and Microsoft. Dude, Netflix well. is Netflix employs a lot of people. Yeah, but like um, from a revenue and market cap point of view, they're you know like a fifth of these companies, right? Yeah, I think they just wanted the anchor- yeah, acronym. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's even weirder now because it's not Facebook anymore, is it? Meta, yeah. so it's like Mang. And also, I missed Which Apple. That's cool. Did I miss Apple? Mm, well, what's the A otherwise? Well, there's three A's. Amazon. Amazon. Yeah. Oh no, G's Google. Yeah, anyway. even though that should be uh, uh, higher. They're spending know. the most the, out of Amazon, the, Apple, the, Facebook, and Microsoft. Boys. On health. On health. On health. So, they've already spent about two billion dollars this year in 2022. I think I, from the graph, I could figure out that they they probably spent like 2.5 of the 3.1 billion in 2021. So they're, they're investing a lot. Um, in fact, they're the biggest paper producer and researcher in the life science industry outside of a pharma company. So the top four, are ph- the top four, I'll say paper producers are pharma companies. And then it's Alphabet at number five. Then it's about another... It's about another 14 um, pharma companies followed by Microsoft at number 20. So they're outstripping all of these people in investment and health, which is super cool and super interesting. And they're starting to yeah. do some really, and, and they've got some really cool stuff. So obviously DeepMind is probably one of their flagship products in the healthcare space. Um, they've also now mm-hmm. kicked off care, their, uh, their, their care studio um, their electronic health record again with it's called google care studio and what they're doing mm. there we should probably do an entire episode on just on like how they're building these and how they're building them for searchability they get these right they're going to be amazing but yeah man for sure and uh they have verily as well and if that was mentioned yeah, yeah. Before, it was like that big consumer facing thing that's now flipped i think back into more of that um patient management system space yeah um so the verily seems to be all about um basically kind of b2b solutions helping uh precision like their goal is to bring precision health to everyone um Mm, very cool so lots of cool stuff happening lots of cool stuff um and the first two uh, the two things i wanted to talk about though is are they investing enough so 3.1 billion Mm. sounds like a lot right lot of money but let's just take a few yeah at an absolute level for sure (laughs) let's take a let's take a few comparisons here okay um the in terms of revenue google let's call it two billion dollars google owns over 230 billion a year in revenue so pretty small like one and a half percent if you compare that to a few different investors in the healthcare space. Pharma. Pharma invests about 20% of revenue each year into R&D. The top five Pharma companies invested 50 billion in 2020 and apparently that was a slow year, 2021 and that was a slower year. So we're kind of talking the 2% to the compared to 20%. Now it's tech and they're not a pure healthcare play. So it's not yeah. apples for apples, but it's an order of magnitude different. Yep, not Netflix's for Netflix's. Um, 
Yeah, because I, I was going to say, like, if you think about what Google is investing in or Alphabet is investing in, it's often tech platforms. Mm. And, like, if you look at all the money they spent on, say, Google Cloud, like, how do you portion that against R&D and things like that? But, mm. like, I get your point. Yeah. It's, uh, it definitely seems like a, a line item rather than a direct business focus. And I'll, I'll make a circuitous path to my point as well at the end uh, well the kind of where i'm at is are they spending enough to get a success um i think they're doing some really cool stuff but my overall question here is that i feel like we've been hearing a lot about these companies wanting to be healthcare plays for a long long time and they haven't had a huge win yet none of them have had a what huge do you, win. what do you think though like what do you think success looks like for Google? Electronic health records, searchable electronic health records. That's success for them. So like take, taking on the Cerner's or the, um, the Epics of the yeah, world. Yeah, well, Cerner's now Oracle, which uh, they got bought last week by Oracle, which is uh, big, big news yeah, in yeah. this space. Um, but I, yeah, so it's taking on those. Um, and what, what could be super interesting here, and I might be lambasting Google and... Uh, for nothing here is that we could be sitting on the foundations of searchable uh, searchable patient health records which would just mean a huge an inter interrogatable patient health records mm. yeah and like indexed and yeah. so if yeah I mean we've talked about this so many times but just like having that you know Tom and I work in healthcare. We get faxes. We get data that's unstructured. Mm. We get all sorts of stuff. If somebody can solve that and put data in a way that's structured and then queryable and then feedable into machine learning, mm. there's just a massive opportunity there to really just raise the bar. And what I, I don't really I don't really believe that, you know, we're gonna get these records and then suddenly cancer's gonna be cured. But I think what it could do is really really make a step change in our ability to do research mm -hmm. um, and I think it could do a really really big step change in administration 25% yeah. of the spend of this 17% of GDP spend in the US is on administration full stop not delivering care administration yeah I remember a graph uh, and if I can find it of uh <laughs> Jokes on me when I can't find it. Of uh, growth in the healthcare industry over the last however long it was, and it was looking at growth in the number of clinical staff versus administrative staff. And clinical staff is like, you know, it's maybe doubled in that time period, whereas administrative staff I think was like fifty mm. to a hundred times what it was over the same period, uh, which is just crazy, you know, like a lot of admin a lot of bureaucracy and, you know we know we experience it every day yeah. um just to have this stuff running no it's uh it blew my mind that's that 25 percent yeah yeah crazy so that's kind of the first thing is that are they investing enough um obviously not apple for apple but uh, the question uh with pharma companies but a question mark still does remain for me is what will what what's the strategy for the alphabets and the amazons are they wanting to make healthcare the one of the biggest parts of their their company or is it something more interesting like i once heard that amazon bought 
um, Whole Foods as a as a customer and as a strategic buy so they could make them one of their main customers for AWS and they could use them as a case study for improving inventory efficiency in retailers. Yeah, I mean, that's a pretty interesting play, especially given Google is currently, I think, sitting behind AWS and I'm not sure where it sits relative to Azure um, in terms of cloud usage. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, if you could get the American healthcare system using Google mm -hmm. Cloud as its infrastructure, you could almost deliver the healthcare, the incremental software benefit on top at cost. Yep just to beat Amazon at AWS. And I think as we've learned as well that healthcare is this weird and wonderful place where decisions are have a lot more impact and privacy and security uh, is a much stronger requirement. And I think if, if Alphabet can establish itself as the healthcare provider, as the healthcare tech company, they're going to be in such a fantastic spot um, from a reputational mm. point of view to win contracts like this. You know, not everyone can win a contract to be the electronic health record provider for the United States. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, it, uh, two things come to mind there. One, privacy in general. And do you want Google to have all your health mm. data, which we can talk about? And it's probably a job for the uh, whoever it is in the US that manages these mergers mm. and disallows sort of anti-competitive behavior. But on the other hand, um, I totally spaced on what I was going to say. <laughs> no, it's um, exact. Oh, that's what I was. Yeah, yeah. No, sorry. Um, we'll cut it. What One thing that Amazon and Google do right now is that like if you're a small player and you have a solution that you can provide, you can sell it through Amazon and Google and they'll spin up the infrastructure underneath and then you can just tack that on to whatever offerings you're getting there. So I think even if Google or Amazon has a big foothold in this market, I mean, it screws the other one, but it doesn't necessarily screw somebody who's building a tool to help, you know, diagnose prostate mm. cancer, for example, because you can now potentially even sell that more easily to existing Google customers. Yeah. Whereas selling through Cerner and Epic has historically been not an easy thing mm. to do it's possible but it's quite hard you got to keep that uh silicon valley ponzi scheme going right <laughs> yeah that's it yeah yeah um so that was kind of question one is uh are they investing enough and we haven't by any means answered this question but i very excited to see because i actually think as well that google will start ramping up um if they get start getting some serious wins which is my next one. Next question is, is this VC model going to pay off for one of them? Um, so Amazon's had a few wins with pharmacy and telehealth services, but they were just very strategic acquisitions. It was online, ph like it was making a play into the pharmaceutical space and delivering of the pharma and delivery of the pharmaceuticals. Um, wearable seemed to be doing really well for Google. Once again, a big acquisition with Fitbit. Um, they're getting some serious mm. FDA wins in there as well. Um, especially there was, uh, Fitbit has now been approved for the, um, oh gosh, going to get this wrong. It's like the early detection of, uh, heart murmurs or something like that. 
So the FDA, they've now been approved in the FDA mm. for that, which is huge. Um, yeah. But there hasn't been anything groundbreaking yet. Um, so they're back in the healthcare record space. This is the fifth time they're doing the healthcare record venture. Oh, sorry, fourth time. They started in 2008, yeah. shut it down. And that's where they first entered Google, uh, that they first entered health. And there was the headlines of Google having your data. But they've shut it down three times now and they're back for a fourth. Um, now, what's different between now and 2008 is that now 92% of hospitals are EHR integrated, but now we're dealing with compatibility. Now we're dealing with searchability and now we're dealing with like back compatibility of data between all of them. So yeah. it's not exactly a solved problem. Um, yeah. And as well, DeepMind has only just become profitable and it's mainly been profitable from selling back to Alphabet and it's kind of just turning into a consulting service. From a business point yeah, of view. I mean, I think that IBM Watson went, went a similar way. Yeah, exactly. Like their research is really cool. They're pushing the space and this is, this is what I like mm -hmm. about Alphabet is they make bets that might not necessarily seem like a profitable business decision to begin with, but suddenly they'll end up with something like Google Maps or Google Docs and um, it moves the world forward. But where it stands at the moment, DeepMind is only just profitable and it's from consulting services back to other Alphabet services. Which is a weird definition of profitable. Yeah, yeah. Right? It's like your, your dad giving you pocket money and being like, look, I turned a profit this week. It's also... Because I cleaned the dishes and, and got money from it's dad. It's also called a tax write-off. <laughs> Rigid. Yes, that, that is worth 50 episodes yeah. on its own of... What do they call it? Double Dutch sandwich or yeah. something? Um, uh. So, um, they've been making many, many bets over since 2008. Well, they started ramping up since 2008, making many, many bets, making 40, 50. And are we going to see some VC? Are we like, are we going to see something pay off soon for, for the likes of Google or one of the other, one of the alpha, uh, one of the tech stocks, tech companies? Yeah, I mean, given all of their share prices this year, I'm sure they're hoping so. But I guess, yeah, it's in, it'll be interesting to watch over the next six months. You know, are they committed this time? You said they've done it like five odd times in the AHR space. They're all kind of getting tanked. Are they going to let go or are they going to hang on to it this time? I think that'll be an interesting tell of their commitment and their seriousness in this yeah, space. Yeah, and... So I think, yeah, their, their kind of like flagship push is in the EHR because obviously that's just huge. You can see why Google's interested in it because it's all around searchability um, and also the, the AI capability and the AI application of it. Um, but the other interesting news, obviously, this week uh, we've already mentioned is um, Cerner being bought by Oracle. Oracle wants to be the EHR provider wants searchable it wants everywhere across the u.s um so it's not just alphabet that's pushing again into this space so maybe this time's different maybe maybe it is and the yeah maybe. and interestingly as well now is we're no longer all the systems there's been in 2004 george bush started pushing for the ehrs to be um put in place we're now at a point where 
that decision in 2004 is now actually resulting in electronic health records being produced. So for example, um, you know, oxygen, uh, blood oxygen readings are now generally recorded electronically, every single reading straight into a patient record somewhere. So we're starting to, we're starting to like see a lot more stuff being set up electronic first rather than let's write it on a bit of paper and put it in and store it as a PDF in a file. So with, with every year goes past, I see it getting easier from the actual storage of information and the receiving of information where the like difficulty is going to be is this into uh, into inter, inter, uh, interlinking of records between this hospital and that hospital permissions and then as well uh, privacy and who has access and who can do what with all of the data yeah 100 percent you know like how do patients opt in how do they choose what to share what gets shared and ultimately who owns the data i like mm. You know, we've dealt with this a number of times. There really hasn't been a definitive challenge and answer to who owns all of the data in these healthcare settings and who can, like if a patient says, I mean, it's different in Europe with GDPR and things, uh, but even there, like there's an obligation to keep records. Could you say like, purge me from the database? I Mm. do not want to be in this database. Take me out. I think, yeah, it'll be an interesting era of, sort of privacy reform and things like yeah. that. Yeah, and um, yeah, we we personally with the company, we were required to keep medical records, don't quote me whether it's seven or 10, but it's somewhere in that scheme of things. Um, so, yeah. and clinical decision-making. So someone wants their data deleted from our system. We can only do so much. Yeah, it's, it's a sort of balancing act between sort of that you know, they call it the right to be forgotten in the search mm. space, but also like there is a medical legal requirement to store this information from for a certain period of time. And, you know, does I whenever I've gone to the doctor, you know, I probably consent to having my records saved, but I don't explicitly know who is storing that data. I need to trust my doctor that they're using a provider that I would be comfortable with. But nobody's saying like, hey, I use Google mm. or I use Oracle as my backed medical record. Are you happy for them to store your data? Um, I was trying to think of this as well, yeah. where there was a a similarity or a, an analogy that in another industry here. And the one that I could think about was tax, right? Your tax file. Mm-hmm. And that's all government owned and controlled. Like, you know, someone doesn't own my my tax details i submit that to the government i give permission people to look into it and there's people that can write to it you know if you buy shares you can order and you put your tax file number in australia they'll automatically update in your tax and things like that but ultimately the government is the holder of that information and so i wonder i wonder whether if there was any other analogies that I was that I could think with any other analogies in this space. Yeah, I mean, here in Australia, they had my health record, which was supposed to be that for health. So, I mean, it was a debacle. So many people opted out. It doesn't really store anything mm-hmm. useful. 
but that was the government's attempt at doing that. I think where the tax scenario differs a little bit is that, you know, your share holding, you know, whether it's chess or, you know, your crypto exchange or whatever, they can write information to your tax file, but they couldn't say what's Tom's taxable income this year. Yeah, and they have no need to, um, they have and, no need know, to that, read from it. Um, there's only two people yeah, that need. Yeah, and then like they couldn't even. There's only three people to. that need to read from your tax, which is your accountant, yourself and the government. Yeah, 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 exactly. Which I, you know, in health, it's it's sort of a different mm. scenario. There's a lot of potential readers. Um, and, you know, if Google was the health record and you'd seen a couple of different doctors, Google would want to pull all that doctor's information and put it in the same yeah. place. Um, but, I, yeah, I agree. It's a, it's a tricky yeah. one about whether the, you know, even when it was the government, there was so much backlash against my health record because they said, I don't want my data in some centrally stored government readable yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, I also learned that when people refer to unstructured data, they included images. I, I thought it was just referring to text. Um, and we haven't even cracked the unstructured text problem yet, let alone unstructured images from a searchability point of view, which is... Oh yeah, which is going to be a yeah. a fun few fun few decades to crack that one. Definitely, there is so much taken for granted in the fact that you know you have these human brains as computers as the interface between all this, and they say, "I read the report, I looked at the image, I could make that link myself." But oftentimes, images, you know, MRI scans are not annotated. It's just taken for granted that if you say you know, left base of the prostate in the transition zone, the person reading that report knows what that lingo means and can see it yeah. and make reference to it. But yeah, it's a, it's very, very unstructured. Mm. So in summary, tech companies are spending a lot, but are they spending enough? Um, I, I'm excited to see them starting to ramp things up. I think there's going to be people falling away from this. Uh, there's going to be less. We're going to be talking less about all of them, Amazon, Microsoft, Facebook, and Google investing in it. And we're going to be talking about one or two of them investing quite a fair bit in it in the next few years. And I suspect they're going to start ramping up as well as, as they start to get some wins and as their VC model starts to pay off, because I think it will. So I'm very excited for what these companies will do to the space. As you said, I'm very excited what they'll physically do as well with what they're producing, but also the infrastructure that they'll create for other companies to be built on top of. For example, like just wearables alone, there's an entire industry of tech companies that could be built mm -hmm. on top of wearables, assuming they keep going the same way they're going with the FDA applications. Yeah, yeah, 100%. All right, well, top 300 Google portfolio in health. <laughs> Number one, All right. Google Health. <laughs> yeah, good. All right, sweet. Um, I mean, any more you want to chat about in terms um, of Google? Always stuff? with, always with you, mate. But we should let the listeners get on with their day and get to the, get to the uh, what is quickly becoming the popular topics of this podcast is AI. <laughs> party, party. That's a joke because. My topic for this week is this new Google 
Research Model Party, which is an acronym. And I did look it up this time. I, I wanted, you know, every time Tom says, what does that stand for? And I say, fuck, I should have looked that up. Uh, it's Pathways Autoregressive Text-to-Image Model. So really it should be party, but I guess party sounds cooler. So what this is, it's a new text-to-image generator, similar to DALI 2, similar to Imogen. Uh, and you know, if you've been following along, Imogen from Google came out pretty recently. Uh, and this is another model in that family from the same group that produced Imogen. And it's a different flavor uh, where Imogen is a diffusion model similar to DALI 2, uh, which really is about how they go from the text representation to the image. So there's diffusion and in this case, autoregressive. Um, I'll get into the details, but you know, this, it's just about how once you've encoded the text, how you get the image out the other side, two different methodologies. Uh, and what's interesting about this model is they trained some huge variants of it, up to 20 billion parameters. Uh, and the results are pretty awesome. Uh, but this paper dove into a couple of topics I want to talk about. Uh, which I looked into is how they assessed it, how that compares to some of the other models, uh, where they specified some limitations. I think they did a really good job of talking about the limitations of this model. Uh, and also an interesting process that they did, which was evolving prompts over time. Uh, you know, so to be dog, dog on the beach, dog on the beach with a hat, dog on the beach with a hat next to a cat, and looking at how the model sort of evolved its outputs over time, which I just think was very cool. Um, so definitely check out this paper. It goes into a lot of detail. Um, but yeah, maybe we'll dive straight in, starting with a little bit of summary of how the model works. So similar to... I would I would like our readers uh, to know, readers, yeah. listeners to know that um, I've never seen Elliot more prepared for this podcast. So I'm very excited <laughs> I, for... Uh, yeah, I'm very I, excited for I've this episode. More. He's written, <laughs> he, he's written a couple of hundred words. Yeah, which is not a lot given we talk for so long. But I thought, you know what, I'll read the paper. I'll do a deep dive. So the model is text to image. Uh, you, if you've been around this space, you've seen Dali, you've seen Imogen, and this is very similar. Like those models, it sort of works in three stages. Uh, it takes the text and codifies that text into a representation, a vector internally, so a whole bunch of numbers. Uh, it then uses those numbers to generate a low resolution image. And then there's a third stage which takes that low resolution image and turns that into a high resolution image. So something that's called super sampling. Is there uh, so Dali yeah. Between those stages, is there like a kind of checkpoint or feedback where it's like, this is the correct low resolution, now let's make it high? Or is it, what? why, why do yeah, they split so, up? Why do they split it up between so low and high? The way they, well, part of it is a memory constraint. Um, so you just can't, it's not easy to generate models big enough to do the full thing. They mm. actually train these models initially separately. So they'll do a text encoding model 
and yep. then they'll decode that text back into the text representation sometimes mm. or into a a picture with a known caption and, and try and train it that way. Then they'll take high resolution images, down sample them, and then try and get the original high resolution image for that uh, final stage. Yep. So they're trained in separate parts and then they're put together uh, as one final model at the end. You know, uh, DALI 2 is similar. I think it's three or four different parts there that have come together uh, mm. to create these models. So, you know, we call them models, but really it's it's an amalgamation of a few different things yep. uh, that come together to, to do That's, this process. I just had this really cool thought about in how like 20 years, there's just gonna be companies that are like, companies and institutions that are known for the text encoding model and we're just going to be this like percentage point battle between them and we're just going to have such great models because of it. Yeah, hundred percent. Like, you know, if we find a way to get interoperability between these setups, uh, there is a lot of potential here for, yeah, you know, retraining party, but with a new text encoder setup and getting an incremental gain from uh, that new edition, which is very cool. Uh, mm -hmm. And it's kind of what's happening already. You know, the, the middle stage, which was the, text to image uh, was a very well-known uh, model that had been pre-trained on other data and was retrained here in context. Uh, I can't remember its name because it's like a weird acronym, but it's a transformer-based model um, that's been used in a lot of different circumstances and is now being applied here. Um, so this model was, was pre-trained or the text to image part was pre-trained on some big data sets, one called C4 and one which was an internal pairing of images and text. Uh, and then the super sampling one was similarly trained and then stuck together. Um, and as I said, they trained a few different variants of this uh, with sort of parameter counts from the 350 million mark up to the 20 billion mark, which is you know, a huge range. Uh, and there's a good section in this paper, which I won't go into because it's extremely technical, uh, but about how they managed to train a model of 20 billion parameters and how they did the parallelization across devices. Uh, and it's a pretty interesting piece of like sort of software architecture and engineering, just looking at that. Can you give us a bit of scale for that 20 billion? So, you know, if, if I'm doing my machine learning 101 and engineering, how many, how big is my model in terms of parameters? And I know this might not be the, the, the way to compare things, but yeah. Can you give us a bit of scale of how big these parameters are? This model is so. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, 20, 20 billion is definitively out of reach for your me. You have to be a Google or an OpenAI or an AWS to be able to do that. Um, you know, a, let's say a, a neural network with a couple of layers, you know, each parameter is one weight that gets yep. trained. Um, if that's a, Let's say that's a floating point number stored in the computer. Maybe that's, you know, 32 bits or four bytes. Uh, and, you know, 20 billion of those, including their gradients, is going to be gigabytes upon gigabytes upon gigabytes of, of RAM yep. uh, and GPU RAM. And so, you know, your average GPU, I got a fairly modern GPU. It's got, I think, eight or 11 gig of RAM. I bought it because I had a lot of RAM. Uh, this will be hundreds upon hundreds, uh, and if you and that's per 
single instance and they try and train these things in batches so that it doesn't take the rest of time to train. Um, so you're talking about hundreds of gigabytes of GPU memory. So oh, and they do the batches in parallel. of GPUs. Yeah. 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 So, so it's, if we tried to train wild. this model... It's like data center level. We would accidentally end up with a bill from Google Cloud for like $10 billion. Uh, yeah. <laughs> they would not even be able to provision you enough GPUs yeah. to train this in a reasonable amount of time. Yep. Um, wow. Even with a batch size of one. Yeah. It's crazy. Um, and it's is awesome, this, but it also... Is, is it like, the big... Yeah. Like one of the biggest train models ever, would you say? And can you say that? It's up there. Like all of the big train models are in the sort of billions. GPT, yeah. uh, not G, well, GPT-3 was, I think, 10 or so, 10 to 15 mm. billion. Um, DALI was 3.5 billion, um, which is interesting that it's so much less. It was a, a sort of big win in that mm. regard. Um, so we, you know, I don't know if anyone's done a trillion parameters yet but you know the tens of billions is certainly where all of the cutting edge stuff is well, and what, what it's kind of revealing that. i want to see the graph of like models over time since computer like computing's yeah. been around to percentage of computing power like that i, I want to see that graph. <laughs> yeah man 100 percent uh and now that crypto is kind of dead there's a whole bunch of gpus for cheap on the market because nobody wants to mine bitcoin anymore so uh, who knows? We might see the trillion parameter market soon. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's cool. It's a great piece of sort of engineering from that side of things um, beyond just the innovation in the AI. But yeah, let's talk a minute for how it was evaluated. So how do we know these models are good? Like, Because at a certain point, they all kind of look good but we've got to be able to pin them off against one another. Hmm. So this model was assessed both by humans looking at the outputs and by some quantitative metrics. So the human one first is pretty simple. It's show the person a either two images and say which one looks more real or show them image and text and say which one of these images better captures what's in this text and they vote and you get enough people to vote on it and you compare uh, how people see the images, you know, back to that Turing test. Does it pass the muster? Uh, the, but that, I mean, that's subjective. Naturally, it's subjective. It's people. The metric that seems to be popular at the moment for comparing these, which luckily uh, Dali 2 used as well, so we can do a bit of a head-to-head, -head, uh, is the Frechet inception distance or FID and what it does is it takes a real image and a fake image and it runs it through a model called inception which is a big classifier model and it takes the neural network activations at the second last layer which is you know typically where you would go if you're like fine-tuning a model that's sort of the internal representation that isn't the probabilities per class of the real and the fake image. And then it calculates this metric called the free shade distance. Uh, and the it's a measure of similarity between originally two curves. In this case, they treat the output as a multivariate Gaussian. The intuitive model which of how this works, which I love, uh, I took off Wikipedia. So if you imagine a person walking their dog on a leash 
and you have a line that sort of follows the person and follows the dog as they go for that walk, uh, you know, they're going to be somewhat correlated because it's a person walking their dog. Um, but the dog, you know, as, as I know, and as you know, Tom, people with dogs, like the dog doesn't just walk next to you the whole time. It goes all over the shop. And the free show distance can be thought of, okay, if we assume that this is a person walking their dog and we know their position over time, what is the shortest possible leash that this dog could be on that explains how the dog and the person are moving together? Oof. Which I think is really cool. And the closer those two things are, obviously the more aligned those two are. Mm. So if you pick up your dog, you know, you and the dog are going to move in space together. If you have a 20 meter leash, there can be a lot of variability mm. around that. Uh, and hilariously, Great analogy. Great analogy. The, uh, yeah, I thought that captured it so well. There's a little text snippet at the end of the Wikipedia explanation, which says, technically speaking, this is a symmetric measure. So this would also be true if the dog was walking the human, uh, which I think is just such, such a great thing to have add you, to a Wikipedia page. Have you, have you seen that oatmeal, that oatmeal uh, comic? Uh, the oatmeal is a famous comic and he does this entire series on dogs taking humans for walks and uh written from a written from a human perspective of uh i must take my human for a walk today show notes i'd believe it man i would believe it as somebody who gets pretty much pulled around the block by my dog uh he is definitely walking me um so that that's how it got compared uh on those metrics you know if you look at this say compared to dali 2 keeping in mind that it's 20 billion versus three and a half billion parameters. Uh, this performs better. It's better on the FID. It's better on the human scores. Even the 3 billion variant of uh, this model seems to outperform DALI 2. Um, so it's interesting in that regard. Uh, they were sort of worked on roughly at the same time. So there's not as definitive a head to head. Uh, and frustratingly, neither model is available. Uh, so you know, nobody can do an independent comparison of the two. Maybe that'll change over time. We'll see. Wow. Yeah. So the second thing that I thought was cool, which is definitely worth talking about here, is they did a really good summary of some of the limitations of these models. Uh, so we've talked about it before with the viscutis and the magic vegetables. The secret uh, language it, of Dali 2, right? The secret language of Dali 2, yeah. Um, and this paper looked at a lot of different failure modes. It gave examples of those failure modes and uh, tried to explain them. So I want to touch on a few of those here. Uh, one of them was text. If you take a look in the paper, uh, and I'll try to put an image up here, the more parameters the model had, the better it was at responding to text prompts. So the one they have is like a sign that says deep learning. At the sort of 3 billion mark versus the 20 billion mark, uh, this first sign is unreadable. Like it sort mm. of says deep learning, but it doesn't. It fucks it up. Whereas the 20 billion gets it spot on, uh, which you know goes to our point of, is there a secret language of DALI 2? And the answer might just be DALI 2 is too small to be able to memorize all the words. So it just sort of mashes them together. And it's like, you know, babies talking. They just sort of mash words together and make sounds and uh, try and do the best that they can. So who knows, a 20 billion DALI 2 might not have viscutis, it might have vegetables. Um, 
Another one that we see a lot is what they called color bleeding. So in that case, it's if you said, I would like, uh, you know, two jackets next to each other, one of which is blue. Uh, the model more often than not makes other stuff blue as well. So maybe that other jacket, it might make the table blue. Uh, and it's a thing that they call color bleeding. They have a similar failure mode, which they call feature bleeding, uh, which is if you say, I want a, uh, a checkered jacket uh, next to a pair of pants, the pants are likely to be checkered as well uh, because it takes that context and applies it to as many things as it can. One other spot it fails is counting. So if you say, I want three ducks and two apples, uh, the model tends to mess up the numbers. It's not very good at really understanding how to instance an object multiple times. So another thing that this model or that the authors here have pointed out as a potential issue is spatial relationships. So if you say the dog, a dog to the left of a cat, uh, the model is not the best at putting the dog to the left of the cat. Similarly, negation. So there's an example in there which is bananas on a plate next to a cup that ha does no, a cup not full of orange juice uh, and the model very often puts orange juice in that cup. Uh, one other one which I found really interesting is that the model seems to get things wrong when there's common misconceptions. Uh, and this is a reflection on the training data for sure. Uh, so one example that they gave in the paper was uh, images of the Great Pyramid. So a common misconception is that the Great Pyramid is, uh, when looking north, I believe, the Middle Pyramid uh, in the collection of what we typically see as, as pyramids. Uh, that's actually not the Great Pyramid. Uh, it's uh, a pyramid called Khufu's Pyramid. Uh, and the reason that this happens is that it's likely that within the training set, there is a lot of references to the Great Pyramid that mislabel this data. Uh, and this sort of ties back into one of the ideas that they had around why this model hasn't been made available, is that they suspect pretty strong data bias uh, and pretty strong bias in the model itself. And they're worried that uh, until they can work out how to best control those limitations, this model has potential for more harm than good, so they're not releasing it to the public. Uh, which is a reasonable thing to do, assuming they do actually go and work on this and then eventually release it. There is every chance that they just won't, uh, and they'll publish this paper and then move on with their lives. So we'll see. And we are back after some light technical difficulties you sang, London lost its internet. You sang your elevator music the whole time, right? Uh, yes. It's actually now... Thursday of the following week. Uh, I've been singing this elevator music for a long time and uh, I haven't slept. And we're also not sure whether we have any of my upload from the previous week. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it may well just be me talking for a long period of time, uh, but we'll see. So I had a, um, the question that I wanted to kick in here as well as, and I think you were starting to damage that, but uh, answer that, but if we think about the three parts of this model, like the tokenization, the low resolution image and the high resolution image, where does this run into bottlenecks? And what are those bottlenecks? Because I imagine there's a, uh, I'll say an intelligence, an intelligence and accuracy bottleneck, but then there's also a compute power 
bottleneck. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think it's, yeah, the fact that we have a super resolution component at all is sort of telling that there is a big bottleneck in the mm. token to image generation. Like we cannot take text tokens and generate 1024 by 1024 images right now. That's just, you just need too much RAM. Um, and the, I mean, that could come down to model architecture because, you know, with super resolution, for example, you can do that in a patch wise sort of scenario. So you can do a super resolute, you could break the image, let's say into like 16 boxes and do a super resolution on each and then combine them. Um, so there may be innovation in the model that you could do there. Um, but the other thing to keep in mind is that like a lot of these training bottlenecks and the, the sort of RAM bottlenecks exist mainly during training um, because you need to compute gradients all the way back through the model and that's where it gets really expensive. The actual inference time tends to be a lot simpler. Uh, you can do things like quantization so you can take those float weights and convert them to integers which are much smaller uh, and do sort of mixed precision and things. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a training barrier rather than a inference barrier. Very cool. Um, what, uh, so we kind of talked into how this compares to DALI 2, but pound for pound, parameter to parameter, how does this, how does it compare to, how does the 20 billion model compare to the 3.5 billion for DALI 2? Yeah. I mean the, the 20 billion parameter model, according to FID and the human related scores, are it's just like way better mm. um but if you if you look at the three billion party model uh, it's also better on the fid scores uh the difference is sort of eight versus seven and a half i think um and you know fid it, it, like yeah. it's not it's not something you can really get a, a gut feel for what that means um but for example, the 20 billion model is 10. So the difference there is much smaller yep. um, and the 3 billion model, um, which goes to show, you know, there's a, a post by Gwen about the scaling hypothesis, uh, which goes into this, which is, I think it's him, uh, you know, is the path to AGI and really advanced models just more compute? Uh, and I mean, personally, I think it's a mix of more compute and, uh, innovations in model architecture. I mean, transformers really have opened up the pathway to a lot of these models. Uh, whereas, you know, traditional sort of convolutional neural nets, even light attention, uh, really wasn't achieving these results in the past. Yeah. This is a, an, what we discussed today on like how much compute this 20 billion parameter model is, has really put into context to me, like how much power is would be required for agi if this if this is like a very specific scenario to be able to hit agi it's crazy to think about what would be required from an infrastructure point of view to support that yeah and like frankly by today's standards it's not feasible mm. if the answer is just more compute we're not going to be able to get enough compute mm. because i mean you think about the human brain like the human brain doesn't like, it's not like we need to eat six pounds of uranium a day to power our brains. Yeah. Like the power consumption, you know, the, the watt per capability mm. of the human brain is still much, much better yeah. than uh, these models. And none of this is linear, right? Like 
3.5 is not six times less than a factor of six less than uh 20 billion right in terms of power consumption in terms mm. of time to train and time to operate right yeah not perfectly i mean yeah it's proportional mm -hmm. um the runtime performance the sort of inference performance is probably not meaningfully different mm -hmm. the training time depends how you split up the training like how you mm -hmm. parallelize it um but yeah in terms of time it's not a huge amount of difference if you can get more gpus but in terms of power yeah. it, it obviously goes up with these extra gpus and yeah i think this is why google and amazon and all these other big players are investing in custom silicon because you know gpus are by their very nature quite general um because you know you got to do everything from play cyberpunk to train an ai model whereas if you build like a tpu which is the google one and aws has one but i've forgotten the the trade name for mm -hmm. it uh, that's really just about AI specific operations, you can get a much better trade-off of, uh, you know, compute power to watts. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. So interested yeah, to see a, what, I mean, it's a cool time. So interested to see what the manufacturing space for hardware looks like in 10 years time. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and you know, we're seeing it with Apple as well with the M1 mm -hmm. chips and the, the M1 max, like people are building their own silicon. It'll be interesting to see if there's a revival of sort of domestic silicon production in places like the US yeah. where a lot of these companies are headquartered. And no longer just um, that one type, that, what is it, Taiwan Semiconductor? The, uh, like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where, like, a bad, you know, power outage means that the whole world's without chips, yeah. uh, which we kind of saw over the last mm. two years. Um, so, the... I, I, so you sent me, you were kind enough to send me the paper and really I just looked at the pretty pictures rather than uh, read anything. But I did, uh, I saw that there was a secret language popping up in the paper from from Party. Could we have Dali 2 and Party have a conversation in their secret languages and would they understand <laughs> each other? Yeah, I mean... Does Viscudis mean Viscudis? <laughs> yeah, uh... My guess is probably not. I don't think Viscudis translates across entities. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think what was really interesting is that as these models got bigger, the sort of weird cryptic language stuff went away in the generated mm -hmm. images. Um, you know, the 3 billion uh, model, there's a, an image of a kangaroo held, holding a sign that's, I think, supposed to say, welcome friends. Yeah. And it, it looks kind of close, but slightly nonsensical at 3 billion. But at 20 billion, it's spot on, similar with the sign that says deep learning. Um, so that further justifies the fact that, you know, DALI 2 doesn't have a secret representation, uh, secret language. It's just got weird internal representations where it's got to mash things together uh, in order to be able to generate such a wide variety of images. Mm -hmm. uh, and somewhere in the realm of 3.5 billion to 20 billion is the sweet spot for you know, the letter A is the fluency. Fluency, that's yeah, so... at least in English. I mean, that's... God help it if it needed a language with more than twenty six characters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, it's like side note, but like, how do you, how do these models go um, if you compare alphabet uh, alphabet language versus character language? So, for example, like how would how would these models go with Chinese versus uh, English? Do they change or? I haven't, I haven't seen. Um, 
I haven't seen anyone dig into that, but I, it's a really good question. And yeah, I, I think this comes back to this issue of data bias is that most of this training set is English language uh, and, and content that sort of matches that. So my guess is it would do quite poorly, uh, which yeah. says that we probably need to work on how to get varied data sets that are sort of globally relevant. Um, cause yeah. yeah, otherwise you're going to see problems. It's like so that. interesting because not that I speak Chinese or Japanese or a pictorial or a pictorial based language. Is that the right way to say it? Anyway, um, a character based language, but my understanding is that it varies in both like being extremely literal and also extremely, uh, evocative as a language because some things just literally mean exactly what they mean, but then slight changes will change the entire meaning of something and mm. provide a lot more. And it's essentially a picture. And at the end of the day, a picture is worth a thousand words. So you're able to communicate a lot more within it. So I wonder whether I just feel like it would both be better and, uh, and harder for AI to interpret at the same time. Yeah. 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 hundred percent. Um, yeah. My guess is it'll be bad. Uh, yeah. but not that that couldn't be resolved. Yeah. So my next question on this as well is, so we've, we've, we've figured out that they will be able to talk. Dali just needs a bit more training and a bit more, a uh, bit more development time before they'll be able to speak to one another. But, um, what I, what this made me think of, and the reason why I thought about it is as I was reading this paper, I can't really visualize how this stuff works, like what tokenization looks like. How it, and I actually asked you this question, like, how does it generate the images? Could I just ask Party, how do you think? And it'd be able to draw that for me. Or create that for me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> you could try. Um, yeah, people did this with Dali and people asked uh, Lambda about this. People have asked the AI Sophie about this, which is one out of Wolfram, uh, which one of our watchers commented on in one of our previous videos. Uh, and by and large, these models don't know how they work internally. Um, so it would give you something mm. because this model, no matter what you say to it, it will always generate an image. Um, whether that's a deep, you know, that subreddit, I'm 13 and this is deep. Yeah, Have you seen yeah, that one? Yeah. It's like memes that, you know, seem deep to a 13 year old. I think it might be that level of deep. Um, I suppose, yeah, that was a cheeky way of asking, could we use this to help us visualize things that we struggle to visualize um, in terms of experiments? So for example, show us like, let's, let's just pretend we're back in the 1900s and like, and uh, show us what, a, show us what the, uh, an electron looks like when Niels Bohr uh, visualized it for the first time or show us what DNA looks like when Watson and Crick visualized it for the first time. My gut says no, because the only reason I say that is that like these models kind of get all of their understanding about the world from the images we feed into them. Um, so it can probably, you could probably put in something like show me a double decker car because there's enough cars and like it kind of can understand basic concepts about how to vary a car to have two levels. It probably wouldn't be very practical, mm. but something like that, or, you know, something we've never seen before, like show me the inside of a black hole. Yeah. There's just not really any meaningful way for it to have a conceptual understanding. That one's of that. easy. 
Yeah. You, you don't know. I'm to you right now. You don't know. Um, okay. And the final question that I had, which is obviously the one that every layman asks, uh, asks someone who knows what they're talking about. Applications. Where are we going with this? Yeah. Which is a great question. It's an and... easy question. It's a lazy question. And that's not a lazy question. It's it's reasonable. I mean, you know, you can make stock photos and you can do art and all of that sort of stuff, and that's great. Right now, I, I'm not seeing a whole lot beyond that. Um, but I did have this idea, which someone should totally make, which is like an Instagram backed by these generative yeah. models where the only thing you're allowed, anything you post as text gets fed into one of these models and an image is generated. And if you, you know, let's say you post something and you think it's cool and I, I retweet it, I have a chance to edit that prompt, generate some new images and we can, you know, track the lineage of this stuff and see what's cool. Uh, I think that'd be a great art project. Um, there may be some applications in say, you know, let's say you're trying to build a house and you say, show me a two-story house in a mid-century design with a garage and a white picket fence. You may be able to get like a little bit of that and then it's like, okay, show me the same house, but with a, you know, modern feel and a pool. Uh, and you might be able to get something useful out of that. Again though, like, mm. I think we're a little ways away from that, to be honest. But, you know, what I, what I will say is that you know, GPT-3, originally a text-based engine that took prompts and generated text, has become things like uh, GitHub's Copilot program, which now looks through code repositories and can help you generate code as you're, as you're writing code. Um, so, you know, who knows? There may be interesting applications here that are a domain-specific mm. example of putting this together. Like, you could make, I don't know, maybe you could make children's books. It's like, hey, I've got a nice little story for a children's book. I don't know an illustrator though, so I'll do that and, and try and generate a story. I don't, yeah. I don't I know. Think, yeah, I can see definite applications as uh, for people that want to create very rich content very quickly and very easily. Yeah, 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 100%. I, I think we're going to have a lot of fun with these yeah. models. That is for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what have we touched? We've touched, we've hit Lambda, we've hit Party, we've hit Dali 2. Yeah. We haven't done no. GPT-3, but we've, we've talked about it in passing. Um, the other topic I was going to talk about today, but we can talk about another week, is Copilot, mm -hmm. which just went public um, this week. There's a lot going on this yeah. space. Um, I'd like to do a similar dig into some of the more medical applications, mm. you know, some of the protein folding ones and things like that, yeah. I think are fascinating. Um, but this came out this week, so it seemed too good not to do. Um, it's a hot time for Man. AI applications. Got weeks awesome. of content ahead of us with the, at this rate. Exactly, exactly. Well, mate, it's always a pleasure to learn from you in this. Get to sit back and watch you talk about talk about all this. But um, what else you been doing at the moment? Anything to Anything to plug? Oh, what else have I been doing? Um, we're a bit too podcast focused at the moment. It's great. We were for, we recorded yeah, we, our we've been doing first a book lot club of this week, didn't stuff. we? 
We did. That one's not out yet, unfortunately. I was meant to edit it today, okay. but I had to download uh, half a million, and that's not an exaggeration, DICOM images for an AI project that we're doing, and that took up most of my day. Uh, what do I want to plug? I don't know. Not much. I really haven't Let's been doing much. just plug the podcast. Um, we're loving it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we haven't said it, uh, and, you know, maybe I'll do a similar clip at the beginning or I'll, I'll put a little graphic in or whatever. But if you are enjoying this, hit like, hit subscribe. As another YouTuber I heard said, it's free and it helps us know that you like our content. Uh, and if there's stuff you want us to talk about, throw it in yep. the comments. You know, we do listen. We try and, you know, make sure that we're keeping up to date with what people want to hear. So yeah, hit us up. Let us know what's going on. And, I'll uh, share the screenshot. Yeah, what about how, you? I'll share the screenshot of how excited Elliot was when we got a really deep, deep and thoughtful <laughs> comment on our YouTube on one of our videos. He was so excited. He was so we, excited. We did. I, I woke up to it. It was very cool. Leave a comment. Gives me that dopamine hit. And also, there's a lot of good yeah. people out there working in this space. So we'd love to connect with you. So yeah, what are you, Tom? What do you um, want to plug? Just a. Uh, just the just the just the podcast the way that we divvy up the work just is the elliot does the main ones and i do the shorts so got any feedback on those shorts let us know we're um yeah i've been uh they're getting better and better with every single one of them as i figure out how to do video editing but having fun making them so we'll we'll get a good a few good ones out of this one as well i reckon indeed indeed and if you're watching this and you are an editor at some point, we are going to want to yeah. not edit these videos ourselves. So, hit us up. Yep. Oh, shit. We got to get these on Spotify. We said we would. Yep. We did say we would. We'll if do you work eventually. for Riverside, can you please tell us whether you can do it on Riverside? It's not exactly clear. <laughs> Good stuff. All right, friends. Take it easy. This will probably be up early next week. So, I hope you had a good weekend. I hope you doing all the good stuff stick around and we'll talk right, soon man.